0: Well, if you brought a Bible this morning, we're going back to Matthew chapter 4. As we continue to look at this man called Jesus. After Jesus' baptism and his temptation in the wilderness, he made his way back to Galilee to begin the ministry for which he had come into this world. Jesus knew He knew from the start, he knew from the beginning that part of his ministry was going to be selecting a few faithful individuals from among the many who would follow him. He would invest his life in them, he would invest his time in them, he would train them, he would teach them, he would what we call, he would disciple them. He would help them to understand the things about the kingdom of God that he was trying to teach and help them to grow into a part of the ministry of that kingdom. He knew that he was going to leave. And it was going to be up to them to carry on the ministry that they had begun together. Now Matthew records for us, That Jesus, immediately after his baptism and temptation, returned to his home region of Galilee. And that's where we find him in our passage, our text this morning, calling several disciples to come and follow him. In the verses we're about to read, you're going to see and hear familiar names. Andrew and Peter, James, John. Jesus had already met Andrew and Peter, along with Philip and Nathanael, back in John chapter 1, immediately after his baptism, seemingly before he had gone into the wilderness for his time of temptation. But now Jesus encounters them again. Not down in Judea, not in the proximity of where John the Baptist had been, but rather along the shoreline in Galilee. Galilee. And I want us to read about this encounter. It's simple, it's easy, it's brief, you're familiar with it, we've looked at it before, but this morning we're going to look at it and I want you to consider with me what happens when we find Jesus calling those who will follow. What's that look like? What does that mean? What's it going to lead to? That's what we're going to try to figure out in just a few moments together this morning. If you've got your Bible open to Matthew chapter 4, find verse 18. That's where we're going to begin our reading. And once you've found that, if you can and will, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of our Heavenly Fathers. We read together from His holy and inspired Word. Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 18, we read, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and followed him. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Sometimes it, it seems simple. Sometimes it seems common because we've grown so familiar. But I also thank you for those moments in time when your Holy Spirit opens our eyes and helps us to see what's there even when we've grown used to what's there. And now, Father, I pray that as we spend these moments together, you would open our eyes. Teach us the truth. Help us to see what you would teach us this morning. Help us to take it into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives, that it might transform us, change us, and make us into what you want us to be. And above everything else, Father, I pray that today, as we spend these moments together, we would hear your voice saying, follow me. Call those who will follow. This is my prayer for I ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Matthew reveals that in Galilee on this shoreline, Jesus called Peter and Andrew once again. I'm going to say it that way for a second time. As I told you, it's recorded in John's gospel That after he was baptized, that one of John's disciples, Andrew, saw him, had heard John identify him, followed after him, went and found his brother, brought him, and they spent time with Jesus. It was really whenever Jesus told them, "Then you know, where do you come come see?" It was more of an invitation at that point to, to come and find out who I am. But when we get to this passage in Matthew chapter 4, I don't think it's incorrect to say that this is a call to salvation. This is a call to full surrender. This is a call to complete abandon to the cause of Christ. The call came to them in Galilee to leave their work and to fully devote themselves to following Jesus, to become learners of his way, disciples. I love to read this because I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus is still calling individuals to follow him today. It doesn't happen necessarily the same way, but it does happen. And the question I'm always posed with is, what do we need to understand about his calling? Well, that's what I want us to try to to get out of this this morning. And so let's just begin at the beginning and get down to brass tacks and personal business right off the start okay because when we start personally we have nowhere to go but away from that so let's make it personal as we begin this morning and what that means is we need to understand that jesus is calling those who will follow him personally when jesus calls you friend it's personal He's not gonna call you because he called your daddy or he called your mama. He's not gonna call you because you have godly grandparents. He's gonna call you. And he's gonna invite you to come after him. He's gonna invite you to be a part of what he's doing. You know, it just seems to me when I read this, I have to back up and think it would have been so easy, or it seems that it would have been so easy. Jesus was God in flesh. It would have been so simple for him to just simply cast a spell over the crowd. And a and crowd would have immediately gathered and they would have come and they would have followed after him. But that's not how it worked. It was about personal relationship. Listen, John had one purpose in his entire ministry. Y'all know that, right? Repent repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was it. I mean, his whole purpose was to call people to repentance because Jesus was on his way. Jesus had a deeper goal. Jesus was more about building relationships and calling individuals, bringing people into his circle so that they could learn what the will of God was and how to do the will of God. John had declared the identity of Jesus when he saw him coming at Jordan to be baptized. He, he, he recognized him. He called him out as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and immediately as I told you before Andrew one of John's own disciples followed after Jesus recognized him as the Messiah he went and told his brother Simon and brought him to see Jesus the next day Jesus found Philip and called him Philip went and found Nathaniel. I mean it just goes on and on what's happening one by one people are brought to Jesus It's not a mass event, it's not group hysteria, it's personal. People meet Jesus, make a decision about who he is, and they either follow or they don't. Now, these men we read about here, Andrew, Peter, James, John, they would form the nucleus of the 12 disciples that we know who followed Jesus. And what we read was how Jesus called them to follow him. They were doing what they do. Now, I just want you to understand when I say that, I'm not knocking what they did. Every day you get up and you go do what you do. All right? I mean, we have teachers. We have drivers, we have students, we have people from every imaginable walk of life sitting in this room. Every day you get up, you get ready, and you go do what you do. They were doing what they do. They were fishermen. So they were there at the lake doing fisherman stuff, all right? You do what you do, they did what they did. Jesus comes and he steps into where we are doing what we do, and he calls. That's how Jesus works. What Jesus did was invite them to make his ministry and his work, what he was doing, make that the highest priority in their lives. And they followed him. They accepted that call. Listen, today, sometimes it looks like that. Sometimes it doesn't. Some people are called to drop everything else and make what Jesus is doing and what He wants them to do the highest priority in their lives. Nothing else is going to surpass it. Nothing else is going to equal it. Nothing else is going to be above it. But I want you to understand, sometimes He calls us to serve Him in that way while we are doing what we do. That's okay. We need Christian educators. We need Christian businessmen. We need Christian politicians. Boy, do we need Christian politicians. We need Christian people in the legal system. We need Christian students infecting and lighting up our school systems. We need people doing what they do and still making Jesus Christ a priority in their lives. But he calls personally. And when I say that, what I mean is this, you can't make what Jesus is doing a priority in your home, in your business, in your school, in your life, until you first make him a priority in your heart. You cannot do the work of Jesus until you know Jesus and belong to Jesus. Now, a lot of people just got real quiet. I want you to hear what I'm saying to you my friends. You can go through all the motions, but you cannot do the work of Jesus until you know Jesus. And I'm not just talking about individuals. Let's just let's get ugly and get personal here real quick, can we? Church, we cannot do together the work of Jesus apart from the power of Jesus. I think that's part of the reason that the church is floundering so badly today is that there are churches and Christian people all across the country who are trying to do the ministry of the kingdom in their own power. It doesn't work. It's got to be done His way according to His plan through the Spirit's power that indwells us. And if it's not done that way, it's not going to happen. That's the reason when he called them, he said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's so easy when we read about the disciples to lump them together. I mean, that's what we're taught when we're children, right? Right? Come on, people, stay with me. I know some of you, if I start the song, you can finish it. There were twelve disciples, Jesus called the Father you quit. You see, when we were in Sunday school, we learned all their names. We, we put them together in a song. That's a great way to learn, by the way, is put something to music because people remember songs even when they don't remember anything else. And we learned the names. And, and you know what? Those 12 disciples, they followed him. But each one of them, Jesus called. He goes along the beach and he calls out Andrew and he calls out Peter. He goes further down the beach. He calls out John, and he calls out James. You go on, and you find him going through a tax booth, and there's a fellow there by the name of Levi. We know him as Matthew. Jesus called him. There was that guy, Nathaniel. He was hanging out under the tree. Remember him? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah, Jesus surprised him. Jesus has a way of surprising people. But he called each one of them. And they came. It was a personal thing. There comes a time in every life when we will hear the voice of God and we will make a decision of what we will believe about who Jesus is. We will determine whether we will follow Him or we will walk our own way and do our own thing. Jesus will call you to follow Him personally. I am so thankful today. Listen, I've told you all this before. It's not anything new or earth shattering. But I am so thankful for the legacy of faith that's been handed down to me through my family. I am so thankful that my father was and is a godly Christian man. That my mother was a godly Christian woman and that my grandparents found faith in Jesus Christ and that became a part of our family structure. But I want to tell you something. I am not a pastor. I am not a Christian man because of the faith that my grandparents found or the faith that my parents exhibited and taught in our household. I am a Christian because Jesus called me personally. I heard his voice. I responded to his gift. I received what he offered and he made me a new Christian creation it's that simple and he does that in people's lives every day if they will hear now i kept reading this passage over and over and it led me to a second realization and i'm going to say this and some of you are going to say no biggie it is to me and i think it was to people in jesus day as well Those whom he calls may be surprising. I've heard it said so many times, so many different ways. We're going to be shocked when we get to heaven at some of the people that are going to be there. But before you get too arrogant about that, I want you to understand something. There are going to be people that are blown away by the fact that you and I are there. Because there are people who know us. They've seen us. They watched us. Listen, I guarantee you, I I could tell you right now that there are going to be dozens of people from the Calvary Baptist Church in Enid, Oklahoma, who are going to look when I walk through the gate and say, Lord, you let him in? They watched me grow up. They know the shenanigans I pulled, they know the trouble that I got into, they know the mischief that I caused. They didn't think there was any hope for me, but Jesus did. There's going to be a lot of surprises. I believe that with all of my heart because, see, here's the reality. We look at people on the outside. We see what they look like and how they behave and what we know them as. But Jesus is looking at the hearts, and he knows the hearts that have been changed, and he knows the people that he's at work in and with. Now, before I go any further, let me just ask you, did you notice when we were reading this the change in geography? I pointed out to you two or three times already. But if you didn't notice the change in geography, you need to. At the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is in Judea. He's down in proximity to Jerusalem. He's down around the religious epicenter of the nation. He is close to the church house, the temple. He is surrounded by the religious leadership of the nation. The people who, who cut the, 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 the pattern for how religion was going to look among the Hebrew people. That's not where he's at now. He's back up in the Northland. He's up in in Galilee. He's left the religious people. He's left the religious epicenter. He's gone away from the church house. Now he's out walking by the lake. Instead of being around religious people, now Jesus is out here hanging around with ordinary, everyday working people. The kind of people that make the world run. He's not in the company of of those that we would have considered cultured or classy, fancy or fine, famous or even acceptable. He's just hanging out with common, ordinary people. Friends, I would remind you always, remember this. Don't lose sight of this. Jesus did not, and he does not see people the same way that we do. We look at the outside. We see what is he looks at the inside and sees what can and will be had we been there in samuel's place in bethlehem that day when he was there to anoint the next king and we had watched all of jesse's boys come through i promise you we would have picked somebody before the runt of the litter came in we would have chosen before we got to david But God kept telling the prophet Samuel, nope, that's not him. Nope, not that one. And then finally, when that young one walked in, God said, that's my man. Least likely. He would have been the one in in your high school graduating class least likely to succeed. But that's the one God picked. That's the one God chose and anointed See, God doesn't see people the same way we do. And that's always confusing to the world. And it's confusing to the world when we look and see those whom Jesus called. It's no no wonder that when you read through the Gospels, you find Jesus constantly at conflict with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He didn't pick them. They resented that. They were the religious leaders. They were the ones who were trained. They were the ones who had been picked and schooled and educated and given titles and credentials. But they were not the ones who were invited to follow. Jesus didn't seem the least bit impressed by their family name or their genealogy or their training and education, their positions, their titles. Those same leaders were confused out of their minds just a few years later. Acts chapter 4, Jesus has already had his ministry. He's been crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended into heaven. The church is exploding. The day of Pentecost has gone past. John chapter 4, we find Peter and John. They were on their way into the temple. There was a man there who was begging. You remember the story. You should remember the story. He was begging for alms. What was their answer? I don't have any silver and gold. But let me tell you what I do have I can give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he did. And folks, it it almost started a riot in the city. They wound up getting arrested. They appeared before the Sanhedrin, the high court of Israel. Acts chapter 4 verse 13 tells us about the Sanhedrin as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Sometimes there's things more important than going to school. Going to the University of Jesus is much more prestigious, and I will guarantee you it is much better training. There was a young man by the name of Saul, He was around during that time, but we don't know much about his story. We simply know that he was being schooled. He was being educated. He was a Pharisee. He was being prepared to be a part of that great council in Israel. But he found peace. He found peace with this matter. He didn't understand it when he was persecuting the church. He didn't understand it when Stephen was being put to death. But years later, he writes about it to his friends in Corinth and he tells them, Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for sign, Greeks search for for visions, but we preach Christ crucified. That's all it is. It's not about anything else and who you are, where you came from. It's Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, it's foolishness. But to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It took Paul a long time to understand it, but he did. He did. You don't have to be good or religious. You don't have to be that person that everyone else would expect to get religion. You don't have to turn over a new leaf and and make a fresh start. You just have to hear the voice of God and respond to the call of Christ upon your life. That's what changes everything. Now let me give you one word to just kind of slow things down. As we come to the conclusion this morning, it is my conviction, it is my belief, and I believe that it is the Word of God that Jesus will call you to follow Him personally. It is my conviction because I've seen it over and over. Those whom God calls are kind of surprising sometimes, it's not the people the world would pick. It's not necessarily the people we would pick. But then again, if we can step ourselves outside the church, let's just be honest, most people wouldn't have picked us either. But I want you to understand that his calling and our following does not guarantee success. Not as the world defines it. Jesus specifically called these four men, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, and eight others as well. I've been told over the course of my ministry so many times by so many different people, it would be so easy if I could have been one of them. It'd be so easy If I could have walked with him and talked with him and listened to his teaching and seen the miracles. Let me just say two things first off. If you're going to be one of them, you need to understand they all died as martyrs. Except for Judas, who took his own life. And Secondly, I'm just going to tell you something. The fact that they walked with him and talked with him and heard him and saw all the miracles did not make them the ultimate success stories. James and John. Anybody remember their nickname? Sons of Thunder. How in the world do you get a nickname like that? Luke chapter 9. They were upset. They were upset with people who rejected the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so they asked Jesus, Hey Lord, won't you let us call down thunder and lightning on these people and destroy them? Now that's a great Christian witness, wouldn't you say? But that's how they're remembered, the sons of thunder. How many times in the gospels do we read Jesus looking at one or more of his disciples and saying, "Oh, you have little faith." They were scared when it was dark. They were scared in the storms. They were scared when they didn't have anything to eat. They were scared whenever there were needs before them that they could not meet and ministries they could not conduct. They were unable to cast out demons. And Jesus said, you can do this, but it may require more than what you're doing. They struggled with failures of faith. And the results of that failed faith or that weak faith meant that this group was often called out. They heard his call. They followed his call. But that doesn't guarantee that everything's always going to go right. I mean, let's go with a short story version, can we? Judas betrayed. Peter denied. Thomas doubted. I, I can keep going if you'd like for me to. The reality is that even though they heard and they followed, they still struggled. And none of that surprised Jesus in the least. He knew it. John chapter 6, verse 64. He said, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. He understood their struggles. He understood their hearts. He, Listen, those of us who follow today, we're no better off than they were. We still struggle. Same things, don't we? I mean, we haven't walked with him and heard him and, and, and seen the miracles done, but we have the written word. They didn't have that. We have the whole thing in our hands. You're holding the whole thing in your hands right there. The law of God, the story of creation, all the way forward to the very end of time. You've got it all in your hand. You have it. You own it. You can read it. You can memorize it. You can learn it. You can take it in. You can study it. We have freedom to the word of God and access to the word of God like no one ever has had before. And yet we still have the same struggles. Anger and temper run loose. Our faith is often weak and seemingly insufficient. Some betray the Lord. Others deny the Lord. Our doubts run wild. Our fears overwhelm us. Sometimes we're just like this fickle crowd that you read about in John chapter 6. say, so what are you talking about? Oh, my friends. Jesus was teaching him the hard stuff. You know, the kind of stuff that you tolerate when you come to church, but you can't wait for the preacher to get to something more comfortable next week. Jesus was preaching the hard stuff. And and do you know what it tells us? In verse 66, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. They stopped following they went a different direction. They chose anything other than Christ. You might say they were anti-Christ. And not, not any coincidence here. This is John 6, 6, 6. They chose to go a different direction. Here's the reality. He calls, we hear. Some people are all in. Others... They're just kind of dancing around on the fringes. We all struggle and sometimes we fail. Some fall away. Some follow on. What, what's the difference between the two? I think you have to go back to where we started in Matthew chapter 4. Follow me. And, get this phrase, I will make you. I will make you. I'm going to turn you into what I want you to be. I'm going to make you into what you need to be. It may not be what you expect. It may not be what you think. It may not be what you have planned. But I will make you. Did you hear that? Can you all say that with me? I will make you. Do it again. I will make you. I will make you. You know, when I read those words and I started locking in on that one phrase, I will make you, there was another phrase that Jesus said that came to my mind. You must be born again. I will make you. You must be born again. I will make you. You must have new life. I will make you. You have to become something other than what you are naturally. I will make you. You must be born again. Paul figured it out. That's why years later he wrote and he said, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, folks, let me get down to the crux of the matter. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter what your family name is, your educational credentials might be, your social standing, your status, your titles, none of those things are of any value whatsoever in the kingdom of God. God's Holy Spirit calls. He calls through the testimony of His Son, Jesus Christ. He calls through the testimony of the written word that you've got in your hand today. He calls through the testimony of His redeemed church. He calls. Many reject. They ignore it. Or they say, you know, I, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until a better time. I'm going to wait till I can give this more thought. I'm going to wait until it feels more comfortable. I'm going to wait until it feels right. I want you to know something. Choosing to wait until is postponement. Postponement is a form of rejection. Because when he calls, he is inviting you in that moment, right then. And he's still calling people, even today. He calls individuals to hear, to follow to surrender control of their lives so that He can make them into what He desires them to be. It's about surrendered hearts and lives. And I want you to know something. If you're looking at me and you're listening to this and you're saying inside your head right now, I've never done that. If the Spirit of God is calling, you can today. You can. If you have done that, then... Maybe it's time to discover what the Lord called you to do. Maybe it's time to start fishing. Maybe it's time to start going, sharing, telling, doing. Because, see, he has a purpose for us in this world. I figured something out when I was 14 years old. I haven't always stuck to it as well as I should have, but I figured it out when I was 14 years old. His business in this world is supposed to be my business in this world. And as long as there are people in this world, as long as there are people in this community, as long as there are people in this state or in this region, as long as there are people who will walk through a door or will answer their front door, who do not know who Jesus is, His business isn't done. And if His business isn't done, my business isn't done. If His business isn't done, our business is not done. The same Christ who called Peter and Andrew and James and John, is calling people to himself even now. My question is this. Is he calling you? And if he is, what are you going to do with this Jesus who's calling those who will follow? I wish I could decide for people. But I want you to understand, I've always wished I could decide for people. Because even as an ignorant teenager, I understood something. If I could do it for people, I wouldn't have to be a pastor. I could go do other things with my life. Things that I had planned on when I was a youngster. but I can't do it for anybody. God calls people personally. And I'm telling you, so many times I've stood at the front of a church and I've had people come down and I wonder what in the world they're coming for. And they told me, I need a relationship with Jesus. I have been shocked. They were already in the church. They were teachers. They were this. They were that. But they were lost. You see, they were on a church roll, but they weren't in the church. Do you need to be in the church? Do you need to be in the kingdom? Is he calling? You decide what to do. Because I can't do it for you. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of invitation, of commitment. And there's only one reason why I would do this. It's not to make you uncomfortable. It's because having heard the Word of God, I I pray that someone somewhere in this room has heard the voice of the Spirit of God. And maybe He's calling you. And you need to respond. You want to respond. This is your moment and you know it. You don't want to put it off. You don't want to delay or postpone. You don't want to walk away. You want to deal with it right now, today, here in this place. Friend, if that's the case, I want you to know something. Today's your day. Today is your day. In a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to stand together. We're going to sing this song. We're not going to be here a long time. But if you need to come and make a decision for Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to come. If you need to come and say, you know what, I belong to him, but I've quit walking with him. I'm doing my own thing. I'm not living life according to what he has for me, and what he planned for me, and what he's called me to do. I need to get back to doing that. I'll just pray with you. You and God got to figure it out. But I'll certainly encourage you and pray for you to do that. Maybe you've been looking for a church home. God's led you to this place. You say, this is where I'm supposed to be. Okay, come. Be a part of this church family. If you're a born-again believer and you've been baptized by immersion into the body of Jesus Christ, I invite you, come, be a part. Connect to the body of Christ. Find a place to serve and, and a way to serve and a people to serve with. Is he calling? I don't know what he's saying to you. I just know this. I want you to have the opportunity to respond. What you do, that's between you and him. I pray that today you will choose to follow Jesus. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for a record that tells us you call, you invite. And when people follow, you receive them. You make them into something new, something beautiful, something that, that you can use. Father, I pray for us in this room this morning. There's, if there's even one here who does not know you, I pray, Father, draw them to yourself. Call them today. Invite them. And Father, in their heart of hearts and in their mind, let them know, let them think, let them believe, and let them say, today, from this day forward, Jesus is my priority. Father, there are brothers and sisters who've let their lives sidetrack them. Life has happened. Things have gotten ugly, messy, sloppy. It does that sometimes. They're not walking where they used to walk or where they need to walk. And you're calling them to come back and to renew that relationship, that fellowship, to start again to, to make themselves useful to your kingdom. Father, I pray that they would hear your voice and be obedient. Father, there are needs in this room that I know nothing of. But I know you're growing your church. You're growing the body. You're growing your kingdom. And we want to be a part of that. And so, Father, I pray today as you call, give us ears to hear, hearts that are open, receptive, and responsive. And may you be glorified in every life that's here. But we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.